this week. I'm going to talk about family. Yeah, I had the opportunity to talk about family, and so we, we came up with the title, Family Functions. Um, I don't know why. Because when I think of families, I wonder how well we do function. You know, I wonder how well we function as a family. See, God has given us family, whether we're grandparents or parents, or, you know, if you're here today and you're going, I don't have a family yet, I'm only 15, the day will come. Okay? So I think every generation here has something to pour into this idea of family. Um, with the holiday season kicking off, many of us have spent time or will spend time with family, and this could be positive or this could be a challenge. And I don't know about you, my family has lots of tra traditions, you know, like Christmas morning, somehow I started this years ago, but Christmas morning, I've made it my duty to bake cinnamon rolls. And every year I try a different recipe. So you think I'd have it down, but it's like, who knows what we're going to get at Christmas Eve. So it's usually the unwrapping of the presents, which takes place as soon as, you know, the last person is awake. And as I've gotten older, as my kids have all gotten older, I've made sure that I'm the last one to wake up. So around noon... Um, we'll go ahead and unwrap Christmas presents because I'm in control. But what happens is, you know, as, as Carrie, my wife, is cleaning up all the wrapping paper and stuff like that, what usually happens is then I disappear to the kitchen and I begin the process. You would think I would learn to do the dough the day before. Let it rise. So usually we have breakfast about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, just in time to make dinner. But this is a tradition. And, and, and as I think about this, you know, there's little things. Like every year I write a... a my children a letter. I, I, write, I write my wife a letter just to say, hey, thanks for not giving up on me. Thanks for just, you know, being a part of my life. Thanks for being you. Merry Christmas. But these traditions start, and I wonder, beyond the holidays, beyond the, all, all this, you know, holiday chaos, the, you know, the Black Fridays, the Thanksgivings, the New Year's, the Christmas, what do we do to build tradition into our family? What do we do to say our house is going to be a house of God? Our house is going to be something that we worship God in. See, I believe, you know, God created family. Back at Adam and Eve, he said, we're going to put you guys together and you guys are going to have a family. And even then, there was some dysfunction in that family. God designed it, and I believe it's significant to keep God at the center of the family. The problem is, I believe, too often we put God into the weekend schedule, but we refuse to bring him home. And what I mean is we attend service, we, we come to church, but when we leave, we leave God back in the building and fail to bring him into our house, fail to bring him into our everyday. You know, I had a recent family friend that had their baby dedicated at a church, and after the dedication, you know, their, their older child was crying the whole way home, and they couldn't figure out, and dad's like, why are you crying? He just kept sobbing and bawling. He's like, why are you crying? And the kid just couldn't be, you know, consulted. He's just crying and crying and crying. Finally, they get into the driveway, and as only dads can do, he turns around and says, now, why are you crying? And his older son said, well, Dad, the pastor said that he wanted us brought up in a Christian home. And I don't want to, I really wanted to stay with you guys. <laughs> and so it's one of those things where, what are we bringing home? And so my hope is through the next, you know, few minutes as we look at this text, it motivates us to help each and every one of us to make God a priority, not for the next hour, but for the rest of our lives and the lives of our children, the lives of their children, that we can build a legacy, that we can pour in to the generation after generation. So what we're going to look at here is, is just a, a, a 
little section of Joshua's life. Joshua followed Moses into the wilderness. And after Moses' death, you know, when, when it was time to enter the promised land, God had given Joshua the responsibility of taking care of his people and bringing them into the promised land. So Joshua takes the lead and brings his people into the promised land. And we see Joshua leading this community of Israel. You know, and we see Joshua lead his people into battle. We see Joshua do this and Joshua do that. And now Joshua's old. And it's time for Joshua to move on. So he calls all the leaders of Israel together. And this is where we pick up in Joshua 1. Uh, Joshua 24, verse 1, it says this. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel and Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Noah, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, and Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I inflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought, you, when I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them, and the chariots and the horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help and put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again and delivered you out of his hands. What Joshua is doing here is Joshua is just setting it up. Joshua is saying, look, look at how God has shown up in your life. Look how God has shown up in our community. Look at what God has done and how he's poured into you. Look at all these things. He's just setting the stage for what he's about ready to just, just unload onto these people. He's saying, look, remember God. Remember God. Remember God and what he's done. And then in verse 11 it says, then you crossed the Jordan came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and every other site you can come up with. But I gave them into your hand. I sent the hornets ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do this with your own sword or bow, so I gave you the land in which you did not toil, and cities which you did not build. And you lived in them and ate from the vineyards and the olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Will the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So how do we talk about family from this text? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. So I, I believe what we look at here will give us insight into the kind of homes, the kind of life we want for our family. There's probably a lot of other texts we can choose to talk about family. But I want to draw three observations for this that I think if we decide to live for God, then these are practices we can put into 
our homes, into our lives, and model for our children. And so this isn't just for the established home right now. This is also for the house of God. Our family of God that meets here, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, how we live and how we pass this on to each other. So this is something that we need to take home and also live out every day. So three observations. I want to encourage us today about the legacy that we're going to leave. See, here's the truth. We will leave a legacy. The question is, what kind of legacy will we leave? See, I believe that legacy begins when we press into Christ, when we allow Christ to transform us and encourage those around us, our families, our friends, to also press into Christ. See, we must model it. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, we must model it for the next generation. We must encourage it. We must live it. Here's the truth. We get what we are. See, if we have that disruptive child and we have to say, what is wrong with you? A lot of times they see an action that's coming out in us first. We model it. We get who we are. And what we do today shapes who our children become tomorrow. So the first point is this. You need to build your family on God. See, Joshua describes the stories of conquest and the promised land, and he quotes the Lord who has a strong reminder. In verse 11, he says this, Then you crossed the Jordan, you came to Jericho, and, and the citizens fought against you, as did all the ites that we can come up with. But I gave them into your hands. Then I set hornets ahead of you, which drove them out before you. And there's those kings, and you did not do it with your own sword or your bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from the vineyards and the olive groves, which you do not plant. Joshua believes that it's important that people never forget that they owed everything to God. And I think as our family, we have to remember to pass that on to the next generation, that we owe everything to God. A lot of times we come in here and say, okay, this is God's moment, but the rest is mine. But everything is owed to God. What Joshua does with his people is a great example of what we need to do in our homes. It's what it should look like. We need to pass along the blessing from one generation to another generation and say, hey, remember what God has done. Don't forget how God showed up in your life. And in our own stories, you know, hey, remember when you were sick and we prayed and God made it better. Remember when dad or mom was out of work and we prayed and God met all our needs. We have to keep telling these stories after generation after generation. I think it's important that our generation before us share their stories with us. And sometimes we lack that. Sometimes we, you know, maybe we didn't grow up in a Christian home and we don't have people, you know, our, our mothers and our fathers that are pouring into us. And that's where the church steps in and says, we're going to tell our stories to you so that we don't forget what God has done in our lives. We need to be sharing these stories. That's why we have to get involved. When I was six years old, my family moved from Pennsylvania to Arizona. So I didn't grow up around my grandparents, my aunts and my uncles. And, and I'm sure they're wonderful people. I just didn't grow up in that environment. I grew up with my mom and my dad and my two brothers. And it was one of the things where I really wanted to know my family. So in seminary, I moved back to Kentucky to, to attend seminary. And it wasn't too far from Pennsylvania. So we said, let's go spend some time with Grandma. So I called Grandma up and said, hey, can we spend Thanksgiving with you? And it wasn't like she was distant. It was like, yes, we'd love to have you for Thanksgiving. It wasn't like, hey, who's this? And which I deserve, because growing up distance, it would be call grandma on her birthday. And so you call grandma, and grandma has all these stories for like 45 minutes, so you're just rolling your eyes out going, yes, grandma, yes, grandma. Now, here's what you don't do, kids. When you call grandma, don't fall asleep on the phone. Guilty. Then, then my mom and dad said, but you have to call her back and explain why you fell asleep talking to her. And I was like, do I have to? You know, so... 
to me, up until this point, grandma was just that old lady that would visit every couple of years. I'd be like, do I have to hug her? She's old. But it's like, she was grandma. So I went and visited grandma, and here's what I found out. My grandma was pretty cool. My grandma had lived a life where she'd been challenged, and, you know, they grew up in the Depression. It wasn't a lot of money. In fact, her parents gave her money to elope with my grandfather. They said, we give you our blessing. We just can't afford a wedding. Here's what we can afford. Go get married. And she said that was enough because God was able to bless through that. And she just told me stories after stories how God showed up, how God worked through her life. She would just tell me about her walk with God, her trust in God, and her love with God. And it was one of the things that just filled me up going, my grandmother has this faith that was deep. And what was funny is every time grandma would talk and every time she would start heading down this little negative area, if she wanted to talk bad about something or something or someone, she would always say, well, enough about that. And she would change it to something positive, something God was doing. And she did this all the way up to the, you know, her last breath. And it's just a great, great memory. And I believe a good memory of God's blessing supports the foundation of our faith. See, the stronger the foundation in God, the stronger the person. So we need to take the time to write down the times that God has blessed us. God has shown up in our lives. God has come through because we worship a God that's bigger than all of our problems. And I believe if we pass anything on to the next generation, it's the understanding that God is still in control. We need to pass it along so the next generation can tell the story after we're gone. See, Psalms 145, uh, verse 3 through 7 says this, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful work. They tell of the power of your awesome work, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. But I believe here's the problem that we face. Our families are being torn apart. For whatever reason, the American family, I don't believe it's just an American issue, but the American family is bombarded by divorce and separation. And on top of that, our children, we have children growing up that don't even know fathers or mothers, and they're growing up in a single-parent home. And for whatever circumstance, they're not getting this. See, I believe that Satan doesn't want the family to survive. I, I believe he says, if I could separate the family, I've, I've destroyed the foundation. And that's where the church needs to step in. See, we need to pass along our stories of faith to the next generation. But unfortunately, the church, the church community is segregated. See, the senior adults rarely interact with the teenagers, and the teenagers try to disassociate with their parents. And so instead of having a culture that enables us to pass along these precious stories of our faith and how we've lived through, we live in a culture that is consistently trying to silence the work of God in our lives. So what does it look like to pass along the stories of our faith? It's getting involved. It's getting involved, whether it's a life group or serving in the student ministry or serving in the children's ministry or serving somewhere. It's the opportunity to say, I'm giving beyond myself because God has blessed me and I want others to know that. God has given to me. God has been God in my life, and I want to pass that along. It's not being silenced and keeping our religion to just a weekend. It's saying, I have a relationship with God. In my relationship with God, I cannot be silenced. I cannot be quiet. I must pass it on to the next generation. I did student ministry for over 20 years. 
And part of student ministry is, you know, always constantly recruiting people to come be a part of student ministry. And one time I had this, this lady named Koi, fabulous lady. I, I can't really tell you how old Koi is because I don't like guessing the age of women. I think that's a smart move. Koi will say was 55. How's that? That's a good low number. If you knew Koi, that's a good low number. Um, but she came and said, I'd love to serve in the student ministry. And I remember thinking, are you sure? Are, are you up for this challenge? Because I'll, I'll take you. I, I can use you. But are you up for this? She said, I'm up for it. This is what God is leading me to do. I said, all right, all right Koi, let, let's see where you plug in. And Koi poured out her heart, and she got involved with the 7th and 8th grade girls. And she became the second mom to the 7th and 8th grade girls. And she poured her life into the 7th and 8th grade girls. And Koi was a widow. And her two children had moved off. So these girls became her family. And what was funny is these girls embraced her. And I said, what's so special about Miss Coy? And she said, she shares her life with us. She tells us her stories, what she's been through, and how God has been faithful. And that's what we need. And these weren't just, you know, fringe kids. These were kids who were growing up in the church, whose families were in the church. Now here's another lady in their life pouring into them. So, see, I believe that those of us who have been in the faith for many years owe it to that next generation or even owe it to our peer generation to hear the stories how God has been at work in our lives. The second thing we need to do is we need to model worship and service. Verse 14 says this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Okay, Pastor Tom, where did you come up with modeling worship and service and get to fear the Lord? Here's the deal. Fear, and this word has many strange associations. If you go to the wonderful resource of Wikipedia, which I don't recommend, uh, it says fear is the ability to recognize danger leading to the urge to confront it or flee from it. That's a good definition, but the definition here that we're getting at when we say fear the Lord is really fearing the Lord means having such a deep respect or reverence for God that we want to please him in all we do. So instead of, it's not a danger of moving away from God. He's not saying fear the Lord as in move away as in, you know, fear for your life. He's saying fear the Lord and understand who he is and what he's capable of and having this deep reverence of God. One writer refers to it, to this uh, in this man, he says, it's an inner devotion that causes us to honor God. Proverbs 9, 10 and 11 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. That reminds me, when I read that, it just reminds me of my dad saying, You listen to me, and I will spare your life. And the only reason that came true is because my dad loved me. And he says, honor me. Respect me. And that's what God's saying. Fear me. Honor me. Respect me. Know what I'm capable of. Men. I'm going to pick on the men here for a minute. So women, do me a favor. There'll be no elbowing your husbands. or you know. So I'm just going to talk to the men. In fact, y'all can just doodle on your, your note sheets right now, women. Guys, here we go. Guys, I especially believe that men bear the heavy responsibility in this area of fear in the Lord. 
Women aren't off the hook. I'm going to get to them in just a minute. But men, you have a responsibility. I'm, I'm speaking to dads, the husbands, to grandfathers, the great-grandfathers, to uncles. I'm also speaking to the young men, the high school boys, the college men, because one day you will have your own family to lead. And we have the opportunity and the ability, and we have the responsibility to fear the Lord, to revere the Lord, to live in such a way that our children see dad acting as the head of the household, living this out and saying, God is important. Men of every age, it starts with us. We have to stop handing off the responsibility. In many homes, we've handed off the spiritual leadership of our home to our churches and to our wives while we go and earn the money. And I commend you for building that house, and I commend you for, you know, getting the resources needed, but men, we can do better. Men, we can step up and do better and make sure our homes are homes that reflect God. Too often we believe that if we attend a breakfast or a Christian event for men, we've done enough, but men, it's not enough. It's, it's just not enough. God gave us our children to teach and to train in the way of God, and it begins with us, men. It begins with us. Matthew 7, 16 through 20 says this, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. So men, what kind of fruit are we producing? What kind of fruit are we producing? What, what is our children, how are we pouring into them? What kind of fruit are they showing? Now, ladies, I told you you're not off the hook. Just because I'm getting on the guys doesn't mean you don't have a responsibility as well. Uh, far too many, uh, for too many years, we've delegated the spiritual guidance to others while we went into the world making a living. I believe men and women have been given roles, and when we live out these roles, God is honored. See, Andreas and, and Margaret Kostenberger put it like this in their book uh, entitled God's Design for Man and Woman. He said, Scripture doesn't give us a lot of detail as to how God designed men and women to be worked out. So a traditional division of labor where women in the kitchen changing diapers, men at work letting women do all the household chores doesn't square with a biblical design. Men and women are not simply interchangeable, but rather they complement each other in mutual enriching ways. God meant for spiritual leadership to be shared. It's a burden to be shared. But the men must take the initiative if we truly want God's blessing. See, God intended for mom and dad to model worship and service. It's our responsibility. It's not just bring them to the church on the weekend and say, hope they catch it. It's for us to instill and it's for us to model. They're watching how we live in order to pattern how they're going to live. And if we have this little weekend faith where we're just going to show up in one hour out of the rest of the week, we call ourselves good Christians, and then we go and live like we're not, our children are going to pick up on that. See, whatever we worship motivates us to action. Whatever we worship motivates us to action. Whatever we worship, we tell others about. Football teams. We're real easy to tell each other about the football team we love, but we find it hard to tell others about the God that we're in love with. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever met a grandmother who just became a grandmother for the first time, and they said, you, you know, you could be standing in line at a grocery store, and they could be saying, yeah, you know, you don't even know this person, and they're like, I'm a grandmother. And you're like, sweet, cool. No, she, and then she whips out the wallet, and all the pictures fall out. She says, no, I'm a, I'm a grandmother. And, and, and here they are smiling, and here they are smiling again, and here they are smiling. And they're going over picture after picture, and they're not hesitant to show anybody a picture of their grandchild. I think the reason they do that is because they are in love with that grandchild. And here's the funny thing is we never take a class on how to show pictures of our grandchildren or our children. It's like we just tell them all about our children and our grandchildren. But when it comes to our relationship with Christ, it's like I don't know how to share my faith. I've never been taught. Well, who taught grandma? Who taught grandpa? to share the love of that child. Instead, we say, you know, until I'm taught to share the love of my God, I guess I don't have to. Well, listen, if you love God, you worship God. If you love God, you're motivated to tell others about God. You know, if we interviewed our children, what would they say is important to us as adults? How would they say this is how we live our life and it's reflected in, in the life of our house and the life of where we're at? If we interviewed the next generation of this church, what would they say is important to us as a family of God? What we worship leads us to action. If we say we follow God, but our actions tell a different story, then it begs the question, do we? Do those around us see us serving and worshiping God? The third thing is this. Choose to serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15 says, but as for me and my household, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is one of those really awesome plaque moments in the Bible. And what I mean by that is like, you know, you can walk into people's house and they'll have that verse on the wall. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, and, and retailers made some good money off this plaque right here. And the question is, is it just something that hangs on your wall? Or is it something that you live out every day? This expresses the heart of a great spiritual leader. In these simple words, we find the will of God expressly stated. We are to serve the Lord. We are to do everything in our power to see that our family follows that example. Also, parents, we have a special obligation to set the right example in this area. We can hardly expect our children to serve Christ if we, don't take, that, if we take that obligation lightly. In fact, statistics say that, you know, we, we've heard about the dropout rates of how many of our young people are dropping out of church after they leave high school. They say that number's upward around 75 to 80 percent of our, our church kids will leave the church after high school. You know, now a good portion of them come back, but also an, another study out of, out of a book says, uh, um, called His Family, it says, you know what, that, that number is diminished drastically when they see mom and dad serving. And it's reduced even more when they serve alongside mom and dad. That's why I believe this opportunity for missions, the opportunity to, to serve together where you and your children can serve side by side and they see mom and dad living out their faith, that number of dropout, that rate goes down considerably because they've seen mom and dad live out that obligation that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord People, not, people often tell me that my boys remind them so much of me. And that's a scary statement. Because I'm like, what'd they do? 
what they do this time? Like, no, you, you got to understand your kids, the, the way they behave. I'm like, okay, stop right there. I don't know if I want to know how they behave. Like, no, it's really good, but they remind me of you. They have your sense of humor, or, you know, your good looks or something like that. I'm not sure. Uh, but they say, your children remind me of you. Now, I'm, pr- I'm proud to hear that, but I always have this heavy burden implied in those words. Because if it's true that the apple never falls from, far from the tree, then I better make sure I'm a healthy tree. Or else, what kind of fruit will be falling? You see, there's a choice, and the choice is yours. Do you have the boldness to stand as Joshua did and proclaim? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, it's not about perfection. Here's the cool part. It's not about perfection. You know, God doesn't say, I want you to have the perfect house. Because I don't have a perfect house. But I like to know that I have a house that's bent on pleasing God, that's passionate about pleasing God, that's passionate about living out for God. It's not about perfection. It's about perseverance into what we believe is the most important aspect of our lives. See, it's not about a perfect life. And, you know, we may have kids that have grown and made bad decisions and moved out and gone on their own. And, you know, we do what we can do. And there reaches a point where our children have to live it out. They have to own the faith themselves. But we have to lay the foundation. It's not about a perfect life. It's about knowing a God who forgives us for our past and the ability to look beyond our shortcomings. It's about teaching the next generation that no, no matter what, they can put their trust in God and in God alone. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me.